Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount and how we can apply it to our lives. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to subscribe to this podcast. If you're anything like me, then you have a whole bunch of podcasts that you find really valuable for your life. But if you don't subscribe, then you probably don't listen to those podcasts. Subscribing is free, and if you'll do it, then every Tuesday after we upload these sermons online, you'll get a little notification from your podcast player telling you that we have a new episode online. And so I really, really do hope that you'll subscribe. I think it would be helpful for you in remembering to listen to these sermons. At the same time, if you find these sermons to be valuable, then I also would hope that you would leave us a rating and or review. I was recently reminded about the power of sermons going out into the internet. On Instagram, we asked a question, how did you hear about our church? And we were surprised when somebody simply responded by saying podcast. And so we probed a little bit further and this woman had searched for something specific in a podcast player and she had found our sermons and she's been listening to them ever since. Here's the reality. When you leave a rating and review on our podcast, it helps for more stories like this to happen. It helps more people find our sermons and listen to them, and hopefully then they are impacted by the things that we preach. And so I just hope that you'll consider at least taking just a minute to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast at. We would sincerely appreciate it. Again, I thank you for listening, and I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. I am Chad. I'm the pastor of this church, and before I tell you a story from one of the saddest days of my life, I just want to make one more announcement. It's a good announcement. Last week, I said that there may be an opportunity for us to get a trailer, and we prayed about that, and on Monday, I had a meeting with the pastor of the church who who currently owns that trailer, and uh, they have offered to give it to us, to sell it to us, to sell it to us for a very good price, a very, very good price. And so uh, we are going to pay them $4,000 for a 24-foot trailer. If you have paid as much attention to trailers as I, as I have over the last three months, then you know that's a very good deal. And it actually has tons of road carts with it that are, are valuable to us in our setup. And so, uh, you know, as we continue to grow, uh, our needs continue to grow uh, with our, our attendance growth. And we're looking out right now at Easter this year, and it'll be the first uh, time since I've been at this church that we'll have to bring in extra chairs from the outside. None of us are looking forward to that. We may cancel Easter, but, uh, uh, but we can't do any of that without a bigger trailer. And so thank you for your prayers. And also, we put up a fundraiser on Facebook in order to raise the money to pay for that trailer since it was kind of an unexpected expense this year. We already have uh, $2,600 donated, I think $2,600 and twenty. And so thank you for uh, those, to those of you who have donated. We really appreciate that. 
If anybody else wants to contribute to that, go to our Facebook page, you'll see it. We're actually going to send out a newsletter uh, asking you to donate to that this week. Not a good sales pitch for signing up for our newsletter, but if you're part of the newsletter, we'll send out a reminder. Thank you for donating. Thank you for keeping that in your prayers. God's definitely uh, doing a miracle there uh, to help us with that trailer. And so back to that very sad day in my life, Uh, it was the last day... Uh, that I ever played, you know, truly organized baseball. Last day of my college baseball career, if you can call it that. And uh, it, it's such a horrible ending to my entire life in baseball. We needed to win two games to get into the playoffs. We had a doubleheader scheduled. And college baseball in the Northwest happens really early. A small college baseball, we actually finish in May. So we start playing like at the very beginning of February. It's awful playing baseball in 15 degree weather, but, uh, but you do it anyway, and, and so we were at the very end of the season. We needed to win two games to get into the playoffs. It was not a great season, but we still had a chance, and, and the clouds opened up, and it started pouring down rain, but because of this weird like quirk in scheduling, uh, we, we couldn't postpone the game. That's normally what you did, but that year was particularly rainy. Our field was like a swamp all year. It was kind of awful, and, and so the games have been pushed back and back and back, and now we were at the deadline, the very last day when, when we could play games and, and have it count, right? And, and so we needed to play these games, and it was raining like crazy, and weirdly enough, as, as uh, fate would have it, we actually called the, the baseball coach at Wilsonville High School because we knew it was the only turf field in the area. I had no affiliation with Wilsonville at that time. It was this small town that we kind of passed on our way to Portland, right? I had no connection here. And, and the guy said, yeah, you can, you can use our field because turf holds up better when it's raining. That's why so many places are going to turf. And, and so we're like, sweet, we have a chance. This is a good thing, right? And then he called back and said, no, it's raining too much now. And then the message was sent like it's over. And... I, I mean, it, it, it was so difficult because all of a sudden this thing that I had devoted still, it, to this point in my life now, half of my life has really been devoted to athletics and, and baseball was a major part of that. I mean, thousands and thousands of hours, lots of my, my family's money, um, I mean, just driving and, and time and and pain, and playing through sickness, and playing with 103 degree temperatures, and it was all just done. One single phone call, it was over. I remember the room I was sitting in, and I just remember falling into this chair, and weeping like a baby. I wasn't weeping because I would never be able to play baseball again. I've played baseball since then. We have a great, bad softball team here at this church. Um, (laughs) And I love doing that. I, I was sad because this thing that I had invested so much into was now done. It was over. That was the end of it. It was completely finished. And here's the reality that we have in our lives. We all have choices about what we invest in. I, I am thankful in many ways that I invested in, in athletics. I think that uh, there's three forces that have made me the person I am. My family, my relationship with God, and, and sports. Those are the, the three. If you like me or you don't like me, then you can blame those three things right there. Uh, but we have choices in what we invest in. And some things are good and some things are bad. 
But what we're going to see in, in this sermon today, in the words of Jesus as we'll look at them, is that it only really makes sense to invest in things that will last for eternity. Investing in sports, investing even in your job, investing in, in any type of entertainment can be fine, it can be okay, but those things are not going to last into eternity. Every one of us invests in our jobs, right? We have to work, we have to pay bills, that's just a part of life. If you don't make money through your job, you raise children or you take care of the house or whatever, those are things that need to get done, and we all invest in those things. But are we really thinking about how we want to invest our lives? Because a clean house isn't going to last into eternity. Money's not going to last into eternity. And I'll tell you the one that's my biggest pet peeve, what I think more people invest in uh, than, than almost anything outside of work today is entertainment is not going to last into eternity. There's this book called Entertaining Ourselves to Death, and I think it's right on. I think America's come to a place where what we really invest in is media, right? If you're over 40, then you invest in your television programs. If you're under 30, then you invest in your YouTube channels. And if you're my age, I'm not sure. We do both, I guess, somewhere in the middle there. But we're all choosing what we invest in, and I don't think we're actually asking the question, is what I am investing in worth investing in? And this is exactly what Jesus speaks to in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the section that we're going to look at today. Uh, Mumford and Sons, this band who, I don't know what happened to them, I don't know if they're still together, but they, they were big for a couple of years there, like huge, huge, big. And there's this line that I've always loved because it's a great reminder in one of their songs. And I think it gets right to the heart of what we'll read Jesus saying today, and this is what it says, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. And this morning I would ask this question, how are you investing your love? How are you investing your life? And here's my proposition. I think this is what Jesus is getting at this morning. We should be people that invest in our heavenly treasure chest. This is what Jesus says. I made it rhyme, but this is exactly what Jesus says. Listen to this in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Some background information. Jesus is preaching this sermon to an almost primarily Jewish audience. And for Jews, wealth, possessions were a big deal like they are for us today, right? We all understand that having things or not having things is a large part of how we are judged in our society today. We know that the money we make can lead to certain comforts or not lead to, cer lead to certain comforts if we don't have it or we do have it. And so like us today, money was a big deal for them. Having things was a big deal to them. But there was this added thing that, that I don't think we really deal with today, and that's this. Material blessings were seen as God's blessings for people. And therefore, they were seen as connecting to how holy and righteous a person was. If you were poor, it meant that you weren't really living for God. If you were rich, it meant that you really were living for God. There are certain churches and certain kinds of churches today that teach a very similar theology to that. I saw 
uh, a video this week where somebody said like, if you don't send in $2,500 or $25,000, then your dream will not come true. And it was a preaching person and, and their point was, if you don't have this much money to give, then how is God really going to do any real work in your life at all. It's a terrible message, but this is what the Jews lived like, and it was pervasive amongst all of their religious people. If you had, then it meant that you were righteous. If you did not have, it meant that you were unrighteous, that you weren't living for God. And so, as we read this, I think it's really easy to say, oh, come on, it's so countercultural for us. Of course, those Bible people, of course, those people living during Bible times would not have needed to invest in their financial situation. But you need to know that there may have been more pressure to, inv- to invest in finances, in material possessions, than there is for us today. And so, Jesus, in this first verse, he just gets right to it. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth because plain and simply, these things are going to deteriorate. They are going to become less valuable. They are going to be destroyed. They are going to be damaged. They are going to be stolen. I, uh, as soon as I read this, I thought about my iPhone. <laughs> I, I know it's not exactly what Jesus had in mind, but, but I just think about how much money we put into our technology today, specifically our phones, and then and then every year, it's like it becomes less valuable simply because they make a new one, right? And, and you spend what? I think the new one is $1,300. And, and so you spend $1,300 over the course of a couple of years, and, and you feel at the end of that time like, like, man, I can't believe I have this piece of junk phone, right? Like, this is just garbage. And on top of that, if you're an Apple person like me, then Apple is literally making it work less effectively over those two years so that it's like a piece of junk by the end of two years. And this is, I think, exactly what Jesus is getting at. If you invest in earthly things, if you invest in material possessions, then you need to understand that those things are going to be damaged, deteriorated, destroyed, or if none of those things are true, they can still be stolen. They can be taken from you. I also thought about this. Like if you, if you think of the greatest Christmas present you ever got and you think about that thing that you wanted more than anything else in the world and then somebody got it for you, lo and behold, it showed up and it was like, you're just so pumped, and it's just the greatest thing you've ever seen. For me, uh, G.I. Joe Space Station, uh, when I was a kid, it's the number one thing that I remember. My dad tells the story differently because apparently it took like 10 hours to put together, but I remember this G.I. Joe Space Station came with some astronauts, came with some jets that could fly off of it. You could just, I mean, I didn't even, those bad guys were going down like crazy once I moved the war into outer space. Like it was, it was the thing for me, right? Like the great greatest gift I ever remember getting in my life. Do you know where it is today? Do you know where it is? I have no idea. Probably destroyed long, long ago. Uh, I had it for a couple of years and then, and then I don't know, I outgrew it and my dog ate a lot of it. I'm sure that was a normal part of my childhood and, and it's gone. I have no idea where it is. You see, this is what Jesus is getting at. We invest in all of this stuff, all these things that we want, all these things that seem so good and so important, but all of it just deteriorates, becomes less important to us. It literally becomes less valuable over time. It doesn't matter anymore. In Luke 12, 13 through 21, we read this. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, 
Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me read that last line again because it's at the heart of everything Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, Jesus says a lot about money in the Bible and and there's some some things that are important as you read this. There's some balancing that's uh, really important to do here. First, Jesus is not against being wise with your money. In fact, the Bible is uh, filled with declarations that we should be wise with our money. We should be wise with our money. Maybe Jesus is challenging what it means to be wise with our money here, but he is not saying that we shouldn't be wise with our money. Uh, I don't believe that we can make a case that Jesus is against having a savings account. I think that's part of being wise with our money. Jesus is not saying in this parable, don't have a savings, don't plan for retirement. He isn't saying that thing. These these things are not forbidden in the Bible. So the question is, what is he actually against here? What is Jesus against when he talks about not storing up treasure? The message of the Sermon on the Mount, which is an incredible commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to read more, study more on the Sermon on the Mount, it's a great place to start. It's pretty simple, but really thorough. The message of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it says. What Jesus forbids his followers is the selfish accumulation of goods, extravagant and luxurious living, The hard-heartedness which does not feel the colossal need of the world's unprivileged people. The foolish fantasy that a person's life consists in the abundance of his possessions. And the materialism which tethers our hearts to the earth. I love that. What Jesus is teaching against is really exactly what he says. Not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. We can have fallback money, we can have some savings, we can plan for retirement, we should have money in the bank to help our parents maybe, all of those things, but, but when we start to store up treasures for our own benefit, for our own good, while we live luxurious lifestyles, while never thinking about the poor and downtrodden, while we, while we want more and more and more when we already have plenty, we are breaking the command that Jesus has given us in this passage. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, Jesus is concerned about selfishness and misplaced values. You should not be investing in selfish things. That's what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is invest in your heavenly treasure chest. I'm going to add a rhyme. Where moths cannot infest. It was just too easy this week, you know. Everything that we invest in here will become less valuable. It will go away. When it's material, it's just when we can't take it with you. That's the famous saying, right? You can't take it with you. And Jesus is saying, so why, why spend your life investing in it when it's not going to last? It's pointless. 
But instead, in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. In some ways, this is just pragmatic, right? I mean, if you could store things in a place where it would never become less valuable, then, then that would be a good place to store things, right? That's, I think, why we create savings accounts. I think that's why we invest money, because we go, well, if it's not in my possession, then, then I won't spend it, right? And, and it'll be there for later, and it'll be safer there. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, when you invest, invest in a place where things will never go away, where things will never deteriorate, where things will never be damaged, where things will never be stolen. Invest in, in heaven. Invest in heaven. Well, that's, I mean, how, right? I mean, if you're anything like me, the logical question there is how? What do I do? What does that look like? And I think that question's already been answered for us. Uh, in the first sermons that I've preached here and what Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he said these three things that are really important for us. He's talked about prayer. He's talked about giving. And he's talked about fasting. And I think this is three ways that we can store up, very clear ways that are connected, that are directly in the context of Jesus' sermon. He's saying there's three things you can do to invest in heaven. Because if you're anything like me, I mean, this is, this is how you, you think and you don't want to think this way maybe, but you do. I mean, prayer, prayer takes my time, right? Like it takes time away from earning money and uh, not in my case, I guess, but it takes time away from, from earning things and it, it takes time away from spending, you know, doing things I enjoy and it takes time away from other things that I find valuable, my hobbies and that TV show and all these things. It takes time away from those things. So why? Why should I invest in prayer when it's seemingly pulling from the things that I like, taking away from the things I like? Well, because the things you like will go away. But if you pray, then it goes into your heavenly treasure chest and those things will never go away. And then we think like, I mean, giving, right? Like giving for, uh, to help other people, financially giving to your church. I mean, we talked about this and the rewards connected to it in full a few weeks ago. But, but I mean, like I, I want to buy the new iPhone, right? And so why give money to my church? I mean, why, why would I give this money away? I want to go out to dinner, so why would I pay for them to have dinner? I mean, wh wh why? Especially when you're looking, you're saying, well, they, they should have spent money better. Or, you know, they should have had a job and uh, they, ha they don't work as hard as I do. I mean, wh why would I give this money away when seemingly that person who's lazy now doesn't have enough and now I need to, uh, and now they're asking me for money. I mean, why would I help with this? And, and Jesus' answer, not because they deserve it, but because you, you want to store for yourself treasure in heaven. And, and then three, and I mean, just not doing this, this in order, but like fasting. I mean, we talked about that. Like, I, I really don't want to not eat for a day or whatever and not get anything out of that. And I said, it's not a magic bullet. It's not like you just fast and then God will give you anything that you want to, that you want. You just fast and pray and then magically everything appears. I mean, you may fast and then you may get to the end of it and go, uh, nothing seemed to change. And I think Jesus is responding to you and going, wait, but you have invested in this heavenly treasure chest and that is better than investing in you know, one meal at lunch or one more time being able to buy something else or, or, or spending a little time watching TV instead of praying. I mean, Jesus is saying, look, I understand that your question is going to be this. 
Why would I give up my time? Why would I give up my food? Why would I give up my money when I may not get anything out of it? And he's saying, you will. You will get something out of it. In all of these, he said, look, remember that your heavenly father rewards what is done in secret. He knows what you're doing. And now he's saying, hey, here's part of the reward. It's going into your heavenly treasure chest. That's pretty cool. Now look, again, I said this before. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, here's what we believe as Christians. If you're, if you're a Christian, here's what you should believe about heaven, that it is going to be an amazing place that has no sorrow, no pain, uh, no hurt, no mourning, no sadness, no death. It's going to be, you know, in my opinion, it's going to be a lot like earth, but without any of the problems. And that sounds amazing. And you go, well, why do I need anything? And I don't know the answer why you need more money in your heavenly treasure chest. I don't know why you, what you get out of that, but, but I tell you this, and I said this a couple weeks ago. If there's a chance for more money in the heavenly treasure chest or less, I want to pick more. I don't know how I'm going to spend it. Maybe we'll be able to do limited things. Maybe my TV will be bigger than yours in heaven. I don't know, but I sure want to invest there because I'm going to die someday and and my TV here is not going to come with me. I mean, the the car here is not going to go with me. All of the things that uh, the memories might come with me, but it's not going to feel the same because I'm going to be in, you know, I'm not living in this horrible life and going, well, I got that good memory, you know, at least I'm going to be in the perfection of heaven, creating much better memories, much, much better memories. And so why invest so much in this thing that isn't going to matter when I can invest in my heavenly treasure chest that will stick with me, that will stay with me forever and ever that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, we fast and we give and we pray, not knowing if we'll get any earthly results, but trusting absolutely but that there will be heavenly results for us, even if we have no idea what those heavenly results are going to look like. Jesus says in Luke 6, 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I mean, there's other things in the Bible that it talks about these rewards that are seemingly heavenly rewards, but, but the main point today is that we should be working to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. This is more of an attitude thing, I think, than it is like a how many dollars have you given away kind of thing. I mean, in the story I told a couple weeks ago about the woman who gave her two little coins and Jesus gets Caesar to give these two little coins and then says, she's given more than all the rest. What I think Jesus is saying is her heavenly treasure chest just filled up more than all the rich people who gave a little because she gave out of what she needed, not her abundance. I think we would be wrong to leave this sermon and these words that Jesus has preached and go, well, I guess I have to, you know, give this much or do that much or whatever. I I think this is just an attitude thing. Jesus is saying, like, are you doing anything to invest in your heavenly treasure chest or is it all about you and what you're experiencing right now? Or another question Jesus might be asking, are you doing just a little bit to invest in your heavenly treasure chest and, and then everything else goes into right now? Because that's not the way it should be because this stuff doesn't last. These things don't last. 
but what's in heaven will last. And then he adds to it. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart in Jewish thought is our personality, our embracing mind, our emotions, and our will. It's not dissimilar to how we use the heart metaphorically in our world today. My heart is with you, or I don't know if any person ever said that under 90, but, uh, but you know, like that's the type of language that we would, that we would use. And, and Jesus is saying when you're investing only or mostly in your earthly, in your earthly life, then that's where your heart is going to be. But when you begin to invest in your heavenly life, then your heart goes there, your desires go there, your focus goes there. Man, I think there's a lot of people who are just like, I wish that I could, you know, be more excited about God and, and, and I, I wish that I could grow in my relationship with him and be more passionate, be more spiritual. Well, here's, here's one thing you can do. Start to invest in your heavenly treasure and then what Jesus is saying, your heart will begin to follow that. I think we have it backwards. We say, well, I'll invest in the heavenly stuff once I get excited about it. But Jesus is saying, if you'll invest there, then your heart will follow it. Because, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? That's so true. That's real. We know that. We're excited about the places that, that our treasure lies. 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It says if you become a Christian, then your salvation resides. It's, it's in heaven. This inheritance sits there and it's protected by God for you. And so, of course, our attention should be there. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then Philippians 3, 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The point of all this is that our focus should be heavenly. We are citizens of heaven. Our inheritance is in heaven. We are, we are to focus on heaven where our God and Savior resides. And here in the midst of Jesus' longest recorded sermon in the Bible, he says, here's one way you can start to do that. Invest in your heavenly treasure chest and your heart will then follow it. But if all you ever invest in are earthly things that cannot go with us, then, then why would you ever think about heaven? Why would you be excited for heaven if you've never invested in heaven? Setting our hearts on things above sets the trajectory of our discipleship in some ways. Our priorities, our motives, our righteous deeds, our ambitions, our security, our personal worth, our value. If we are investing in our heavenly treasure chest, all of that starts to move in the right direction. But if we're just investing in the things that we experience and feel and have right now, then how are we really going to start to live for God or continue to live for God. Invest in your heavenly treasure chest. A friend of mine's parents, he's about my age, but his parents had a fire not long ago. It's been a few years, I guess, but just basically the whole house gone. Uh, 
house was rebuilt through insurance and all that. But my grandpa asked her, uh, Elisa is her name, he said, uh, are, are you just devastated by losing all that stuff? And she said this incredible thing that stuck with, I think, all of us in our family. She said, Dan, it's just stuff. What if we lived our entire lives like that? It's just stuff. It's just stuff. So I'm going to invest my time, my talent, my treasures in my heavenly treasure chest. Invest in your heavenly treasure chest. Jesus says this next thing that's weird. Uh, it just seems to come out of left field. It makes sense when you study it a little bit, but on first reading, I was like, what did he just do there? I thought this sermon was good. Uh, and in Matthew 6, and 23, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Are you with me? You're like, how does that? How did he get there? Like he should have had a transitional statement or something like that. What does he even mean? So there's a couple things you need to know. Some Jews actually saw the eye as a lamp that illuminated the world in front of you. I actually think it's really fun to see the world that way all of a sudden. Like you are all dark, but I, my eyes are just lighting you up so that I can see you. And, and so that, that factors in. That was just something some Jews believed. And so Jesus kind of plays on that. But what you need to really pay attention to is that he turns it around and he says your eyes they illuminate what is inside of you not the things in front of you now there's this other thing that you need to know and that is that heart and eyes are often connected in jewish thought they're virtually synonymous you can read that i'm not going to read it but psalm 119 10 and then verse 19 you see how he interchanges between heart and eyes and so what Jesus is saying in some way here that I think is actually quite beautiful, jokes aside, when you, when you get to the heart of it, is he is saying that if your focus, if your focus is on the heavenly things, then that will illuminate, that will light up, that will bring light and good into your soul. The message of the Sermon on the Mount again says, just as your eye affects our whole body, so our ambition, where we fix our eyes and heart, affect our whole life if your if your treasure is in heaven then your eyes are in heaven because your heart is in heaven your focus is in heaven and that will begin to change your insides who you are your joy your peace your hope your comfort I think we live in a world where people are so discontent no matter how much they have they're utterly discontent because there's darkness inside of them because what they're looking at what their hearts are set on are things that will go away, that will deteriorate, that will be damaged and will be destroyed. And it happens over and over and so they're constantly chasing more and more. But Jesus says, if your eyes, if your heart will be focused on heaven and your chest, your heavenly treasure chest, then your, your soul will start to have the warmth of the light of heaven within it. That's paradigm shifting, right? It's so different than the average American. It's so different than the average American, but it's so different than even those of us that call ourselves Christians here today. We're so focused on our next paychecks. We're so focused on spending time how we want to spend time. We're so focused on being autonomous and having our own power that we don't think at all about what's going on in heaven. And I think it's creating a darkness in our souls. Selfish ambition is akin to blindness. 
But if our vision is spiritual and heavenly focused, then it lights up our souls. The Life Application Commentary says, if, if a disciple's eyes are fixed on earthly treasures as her or his value, personal significance and earthly security, then the heart, heart will likewise be full of darkness. When we focus on something evil, the eye becomes the conduit by which evil fills the inner person. You realize we live in an evil world, right? Even the greatest things that we have here are tainted by the fall of mankind, tainted by the evil that exists. And so when our eyes are focused on, on this evil, this evil thing, not all of it's evil, not everything's evil, but it's all tainted by evil. When our eyes are focused there, then it is the conduit that fills our own souls with evil. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, the man who is stingy and selfish cannot see where he is going. He is morally and spiritually blind. If you want a healthy soul, focus on accomplishing heavenly things. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he, and then he says something even more pragmatic, in my opinion. Matthew 6.24, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money that word masters is connected to slavery which was going strong during the time of jesus and slavery was built on two things you must be fully devoted to your owner and you must be the owner of only one person and, and jesus says that this is what's going to happen you're going to serve god or you're going to serve money and i think we can extend that out to everything else that we invest in you're going to serve something that is worldly something that exists now or you're going to serve god first timothy 6 10 says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils it is through that this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs when he gets right to it if you if your love is money then it's going to cause you to leave your God. It doesn't say you can't have money. It doesn't say you, if you have money, it's bad or you're evil or anything like that. It says if you love it. If your goal is to get rich in life, then you, are going, you might wander from the faith because you can't serve two masters. You just can't do it. Bob Dylan said this, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Great song, long song, great song. I don't know if you've seen this thing uh, with Kanye West. Who, I mentioned him last week in my sermon. I'm going to keep mentioning him because it's an incredible story. I mean, he's a man who is, I mean, he declared himself the Christ in some of his music, and now he's, he's become a Christian, and he seems like a devout Christian. And as I thought about him, I thought about Bob Dylan who wrote that song and sang that song that I just said. Bob Dylan had a very similar experience when he was, you know, on top, when he was wildly successful. And it seems in Bob Dylan's world life uh, that whatever that conversion experience was has drifted away. And I wonder if it was connected to money, but I can guarantee it was connected to serving worldly things. He probably tried to serve God and something and it doesn't work. I hope that Kanye West will not do the same, that he will come to the conclusion and understanding that, that he has to make a choice. This isn't just like a, hey, I'm gonna sell a record to a bunch of Christians right now and I'll make a little extra money. This is a, a choice. I'm going to serve something or I'm going to serve God, the creator of all somethings. 
We all have to make that choice. Martin Luther said, whenever the gospel is taught and people seek to live according to it, there are two terrible plagues that always arise. False teachers who corrupt the teaching and then Sir Greed who obstructs right living. Man, invest in your heavenly treasure chest. There's so many reasons for that. One is just this stuff goes away. Your iPhone will get worse, right? One is that we should be investing in the place that we will live forever, not the place we will live for some 90 years. Uh, One is that we just can't serve two masters. You have to make the choice. But we need to be investing in our heavenly treasure chest. It will illuminate our souls. I didn't write this quote down, but I thought about it afterwards. It's been a quote that's been important to my family's life, and it's going to do my best because it has old English only one life shall soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last and I think that we need to do our best to remember that where we invest our love is where we invest our lives and we need to invest in our heavenly treasure chest let me pray that you'll do that Lord Jesus I just man I think it's an epidemic Lord in our society that we uh, Christians that we who are Christians we We seem to care so little about the things of you. I know some great people who have made incredible sacrifices to invest in that heavenly treasure chest, and I thank you for those examples. But I pray more would follow those examples, Lord. I pray that we would be a congregation, Lord, that would not invest in our own comfort on a Sunday morning, that would not invest in making our experience in church better, but that would invest in our our corporate heavenly treasure chest, God. We would do our best to do things that last for eternity, Lord. I pray, God, that um, every person who's in front of me, those who are listening online and will listen online, God, if they don't know you as their Savior, I pray you'd bring them to you, Lord. Because right now, they, their life is purposeless for eternity's, in eternity's sake, God. It, it just won't matter for eternity. But Lord, if they'll commit to you, then, then God, you can change everything for them. And, and you can illuminate their souls because their focus can be on this heavenly place where you reside and you rule and you reign and you love, God. And so I pray that you would lead people into a relationship with you. But for those of us that are Christians, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts and you would cause us, Lord, to invest more and more in our heavenly treasure chest. I pray that we would not leave this thinking, ah, I gotta do a little more, but we'd leave this just wondering, how much can I do? How much can I give to invest in eternity? And then we would go out and do it, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.